The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi, it's Matt Jolly from warbirdradio.com. Listen, I am thrilled to have Dave Homewood as part of our broadcast family and bring your stories, the stories of the RNZAF, heard right here on Wings Over New Zealand to our global audience. Thanks for listening. I hope to hear from you sometime at warbirdradio.com. This is Extended, the ETOPS Aviation Podcast. Here's Peter Johnson. We're in front of the Merlin. Can you tell us a little bit about the aircraft? What aircraft did you fly before? Uh, Soho 22. Right, okay. That's quite an interesting aircraft. Mm-hmm. What was that like to fly? Faster. Yeah. <laughs> Gareth Stringer. Make no bones about it. This is still a very capable aircraft. The cockpit's very cramped. You've got leg restraints on. You're sat on a seat that's got explosives in it. Tim Robinson. Also the A400M, got to go inside and uh, have a poke around with. Just uh, taking me on the trip of our lifetime in a F-18F Super Hornet. Aviation-extended.co.uk And remember, there's no E at the beginning of Extended. Extended! The Wings Over New Zealand show would like to acknowledge the great support it's had from Fly DC3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC3 from Ardmore Airport, charter the DC3 Dakota and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. Fly DC3. Go to www.flydc3.co.nz Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. And I'd like to welcome to the show, Graham Frew. Hi, Graham. How are you doing, Dave? Great. Now, uh, you've got a, a really interesting story uh, that uh, you, it looks like you're going to be the first Kiwi to uh, race at Reno. Um, we're going to be the first Kiwi race team, and we're going to be the first New Zealander in the Unlimited class, um, but I'm pretty sure there's, there's Kiwis have raced there in um, other classes. Uh, cert- ah. Certainly in the jet class, but there's never been a team there from New Zealand. Ah, right, okay. Well, uh, before we get into the Reno story, can we, um, just for the listeners, can we get a little bit of uh, your background in aviation and how you got into it and your journey through? Yeah, um, certainly. I um, I uh, grew up um, in, in Whanganui with a, uh, in a family that didn't have any direct aviation connection. I had a, a great uncle who was an air gunner on defiance during the war. He was sadly killed, um, but always uh, looked to the skies. I guess I, you know, built airfix models of um, um, of uh, World War Two fighters generally, um, hung them from my ceiling as every kid did back then. And um, at 16, 
decided I had enough for school and, and um, much to my mother's horror, joined the um, Air Force and they accepted me. All um, <laughs> right. So um, they put me on a bus in Whanganui and I eventually ended up at Woodburn and trained as an aircraft um, mechanic engineer. Yeah. Uh, and went through my trade training, ended up at Ahakia, which was, you know, nice and close to home. And uh, worked um, for eight and a half years uh, as a as a groundie, as we called it, and um, but always with a with a desire to to fly. So I had a number of um, of applications to to um, do a pilot's course. Um, missed out because of my educational qualifications. I only had school C or year nine, I think it is now. Uh, year eleven, sorry, and. Um, once I got that sorted out, they decided I was too short-sighted, so um, I kept hassling them and, and then um, figured out a way of uh, um, of maybe cheating on the eye exam. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, eventually got accepted. Um, got accepted and did a pilot's course in uh, in 1986, and uh, got streamed to fly transport aeroplanes, which. Um, I um, thought at the time I wanted to, you know, I was desperate to be a fighter pilot, but um, it was a great role to be involved in. You know, you go all around the world, um, saw places you'd never ever see um, otherwise, and uh, and it was a really varied role, with the um, um, with the added bonus of being on the C-130s and being able to go down to Antarctica for three seasons, which was um, which is a real highlight. Oh, right. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. That was my Air Force career, which seems like a previous life now. From from there, I went into flying um, with an airline, which I'm apparently not able to name because of their communications policy. And okay. I've been there for uh, 22 years now. So um, flying various aircraft. I'm currently um, on the A3, A320. That's, oh, cool. uh, that's it in a nutshell. Right. And... Um... Tell us about how you uh, ended up with the Yak-3. Um, always interested in warbirds, um, and I um, actually picked up a magazine years ago um, that had a, um article that Graham Orphan had written on the Nanjing, and I knew nothing about communist aeroplanes, as most you know Kiwis grew up thinking Spitfires and Hurricanes and Mustangs were the bee's knees. Yep. And... Um, I, I was just at a stage in my life where I was interested in doing something within the Warbird fraternity and, and I ended up buying a Nanchang and flying it across the Tasman from Australia, um, which was a bit of an adventure and I would never do it again. Uh, <laughs> but it gave me a lot of respect for for um, communist equipment. You know, It was a very well-made aeroplane, very, very robust. But I always had a hankering to fly a V-12. Um, and... Uh, again, through Graham's magazine, um, I, I saw an advert come up for the Yak-3 um, as a yep. project, and um, I just sort of figured, you know, I'm going to I'm going to have a go at doing this, um, and I'll figure out the finances later. And <laughs> I did a lot of reading about them, and just and came to the the conclusion very quickly that they were a really capable aeroplane. And um, and so I bought the project 2004 out of um, wine country in Sonoma in California and yep. had it shipped to Blenheim, um, uh, Mike Nichols, uh, who's an engineer down at SAFE, started working on the aeroplane. But very quickly, as with every project, whether it be an aircraft or a motorbike or a car or a fridge, 
um, it, it, you know, it was getting away from me in time and, and resources. Um, right. So we put it into the care of uh, Jay uh, McIntyre, uh, he's yep. a friend of mine who had just formed his own company, GM Aviation, and uh, the, he and his um, and uh, his engineers did a th- pretty much a three and a half year rebuild with the aeroplane. Um, and yeah, I've oh, you know, I mean, I I haven't flown any other heavy World War II equipment, but it's everything I want it to be. You know, its performance and handling is just uh, fantastic. They're a really, uh, really interesting aircraft. They're so small, but they're um, that from what I've heard, they they handle like a Spitfire. They handle like a, you know, all the other really top um, World War Two fighters. So it's an interest, a really interesting uh, fighter aircraft. And of course, um, these Yak threes uh, that are flying around the world today, they're all late production Yaks, aren't they? They they were they were built in the nineties. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Um, so a couple of points there. It is small, and, and so what Alexander Yakovlev um, arrived at um, in about 1943 was that he wasn't going to get a more re- a reliable, higher horsepower engine um, anytime soon. So he started off with a Yak-1 aircraft and then designed all the weight and drag out of it that he could and yeah. then um, thought, you know, I can do better than this. So they, they got a clean sheet uh, design for the wing, and the original Yak 3s only had a span of 9.2 meters, so it is tiny. And so oh. he, he just tried to put the smallest aeroplane around the, the reliable Klimov V12 that they had. And at the same time, um, all the other um, protagonists in the war were coming to the same conclusion that the, the Germans, the Fotwolf 190, really is a close cowled, uh, streamlined, um, efficient airframe because they knew that the. Um, the piston engine was coming to the end of its design life for horsepower. Um, the Americans ended up with the Bearcat, which was, you know, post-war, but under the same philosophy. And, and the British, um, surprisingly, the the Sea Fury or Fury was was their attempt to try and design all the size and weight out of an aeroplane. Um, the the aircraft, yeah, they. W- what happened was the Iron Curtain after it came down in the early 90s, uh, if, you, if your listeners remember back that far, um, gave the Russians an awful lot of opportunity, but they needed a lot of, you know, they needed foreign currency. So the, the Yakovlev Design Bureau discovered, apparently, in the back of a hangar, all the jigs and tooling and dies and the engineering drawings from the Yak-3 build from the war, and they got funding from... Um, the Santa Monica Museum of Flying, which was a big warbird museum in Los Angeles. Um, and they tooled up and just started building new aeroplanes, more modern materials, and that's why they've got an Allison engine in them, because there were no Klimovs um, available in any sort of large numbers uh, in modern times. So they put an Allison engine in them, and they built um, and started building new airframes, and they just carried on the serial numbers as if they'd just stopped production for 60 years. <laughs> it's really an incredible story when you think about that just in itself. It's uh, uh, no other no other production house has really done that, have they? No, they haven't. And um, you know, I don't know whether you call them new productions or replicas, or I mean, I don't really care when I'm sitting behind uh, um, an Allison V12 what what <laughs> handle you hang on it. Um, the interesting thing about them is they built the new aircraft with wet wings, and they, the new the um, original airplanes had fuel tanks in them. 
and oh, yeah. my airplane because and we'll probably get to that in a bit but it's ended up on a yak 11 wing which is slightly longer and span heavier gear and it's got the original fuel tanks in it so it's um it's a i think anyway a much more robust structure and it probably makes the hand, aircraft handle a little bit better it's not so okay. uh, twitchy when it gets close to a high g stall right right and of course your aircraft is also a two-seater yes so you can take people up for rides uh, with your uh, fighter flights uh, company. That's right, and um, it's something I always wanted to do even when I looked at the project, um, was put a second seat in, and something the, the previous owner was sort of um, was mulling doing. In fact, he had all the canopy glass and everything was, was made for a second seat. Um, I, I struck really lucky, actually. If, if anyone wants to look at my Fighter Flights Facebook page and scroll back through, there's some animations there on the engineering we did to put the second seat in. And um, I, I found an, a, a, um, a design engineer who was willing to help me. Um, and what we had to do, because the, the engineering drawings all disappeared, unfortunately, um, after, the, uh, after the aircraft were built, um, they uh, we had to reverse engineer the airframe and it's all steel tube chrome molly steel tube and right. so we measured everything up and got the tube thicknesses and diameters and things and plugged it all into a, um, a pretty impressive um, computer program and there's an animation on on my facebook page of what happens if you put a torsional twist on the tail and um, it's all color coded it just loads up beautifully from the tail forward and and the engineer said you know this this was all done with slide rules and pencils in 1943, so it's pretty amazing engineering. Um, right. What is striking is what happens when you take the structure out behind the pilot to put a second seat in, and it actually reduced the rigidity of the fuselage by 25%, so we had right. to do a lot of, um, or they had to do um, a lot of um, you know, calculations and, and uh, to, to put the, the strength back into the structure while leaving a space to put a seat in and, and we achieved that and I, as far as I'm aware or I know actually for a fact that none of the other two seat yaks flying in the world have the same sort of structure that we have in place so um, okay. it's, it's great to know I mean they're all built like a bridge so it doesn't really matter I suppose but uh, it's great to know that we've got that rigidity back in the fuselage and and I've sat in the back of that aeroplane for over an hour, and it's very comfortable, I have to say. We are oh, really right. pleased. Well, that's good, because it actually, I mean, because it's a small aircraft and you've got two people in that uh, that cockpit, it actually looks quite small and tight in there, but it, it, you, you're not really that uh, cramped? No, no, um, and you've got your own space, you know, you're not sort of hugging the the um the pilot's sort of thighs and stuff with your knees or anything like that you've got <laughs> your own space to to sit your legs it's not dual control and that was a conscious decision um well one through cost and two um uh, it's quite good for people just to sit back and enjoy the ride if you know what i mean um yeah yep. and um it's yeah you got a great view out of the back um and i'm really pleased with the operability if you like of of that back seat and and i think it's actually quite quite safe if um you know um god forbid we ever had to hop out of it i think you'd give your passenger a fair go um and you know there's some two-seat modifications around there with warbirds which which are a little bit dubious i reckon right yep i, I 
totally know what you're talking about there. Um, no, it's uh, it's really cool. And yours is the the third Yak three to fly in New Zealand, and I think, quite frankly, that yours has got the nicest colour scheme. Um, what's, what's the what's the story behind the colour scheme? Well, um, a lot of guys, especially in Europe, seem to just go to the Normandy Neiman scheme, which is a, a French squadron that was operating with the Russian Air Force, and I wanted something a little bit um, different and um, and quite striking, you know, with a view to um, to the marketability of the of the aircraft for rides and things. And to be honest, I, I bought a, an Eduard 148 scale model and it had that colour scheme on it. And I thought, you know what, that, that really pops. And um, it's a 1946 scheme, I believe, that, um, that a Major Baranov with the 4th Guard Regiment had on his aeroplane. And yep. um, so we just interpreted it um, as closely as we could. And, and uh, my nephew, Daniel Frew, actually, who worked on the aeroplane under under Jay's stewardship for three years, did the painting on it and put the colour scheme on it. And I just, I was really happy with it. It's, um, it's, you know, it's quite striking. I think it's going to look pretty awesome going around the pylons and Reno just quietly. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and of course, that aircraft's been to Reno before, hasn't it? Yeah, um, so it was uh, originally bought by Tiger De Stephanie, who owns um, the race Mustang, the red and white Mustang Strager. And it was raced by Sherman Smoot. And Sherman, um, when I was at Reno Ground School this year, ran the ground school for the Unlimited. So he, he knows the aeroplane. And he raced it at about 325 mile an hour. And that was, you know, in stock configuration with the stock motor. Um, and it was that was in 1996. It was on sold... Um, to a chap who unfortunately had a, um, an incident on takeoff in 1999, and um, he, um, yeah, from what I understand, rolled the aeroplane around the propeller trying to get airborne at too slow a speed, and right. and that's you know when it was written off and and we subsequently bought it. Um, um, but yes, yeah, so it does have a previous rate, Reno history, and that's always been in the back of my mind to take it back. Um, because it's you know last outing wasn't very successful and we're hoping to do it quite a bit better just quietly <laughs> well yeah that, that'd be fantastic um you did a bit of uh sort of mock reno racing at uh, omaka this year with the the yak 3u is it from australia uh yeah the the radio engine one and the corsair and that looked pretty impressive but uh, I, I guess you you went you weren't really ringing it out were you no, <laughs> well, we ended up with more power than anyone admitted to, I think, to be perfectly honest, but um, <laughs> that that wasn't my um, the, the greatest thing ever because it, it wasn't a structured course, um, right. whereas, you know, Reno, there's, there's 10 pylons, you fly low, you fly fast, you turn left, and everyone is on the same page, so, so I did, and it was very exciting, I have to say, um, and I've done a bunch of formation work. Um, since I shipped the aeroplane offshore um, with uh, with Harvards, and um, a couple of the times we've gone down into the low level area um, up here in Auckland, um, and at 130 mile an hour, it's fun. So goodness only yeah. knows what it's going to be like at Reno speeds. <laughs> so um, what's what's the fastest you've had the yak up to so far? Um, uh, 395 mile an hour true airspeed um, and what you've got to do um, is certify the airplane that um, it's 
can do 105% of the true airspeed you think you're going to qualify at and one and a half time the G for the course and the course G for an unlimited is four so I had to go up and do 395 mile an hour at 6G and um, the airplane you know it's just doesn't even blink an eye when you do that um, wow. it was in a dive from you know 9,000 feet down to seven but I'm um, using fairly conservative power settings so uh, I think if we can get the the engine you know sort of wound up towards takeoff power then we're quite capable of doing that at, at um, you know in a, in a level um, attitude so um, 395 to answer your question yeah that's uh, that's very impressive <laughs> yeah it's not indicated obviously that's true airspeed but um, yeah. the aircraft certified at 375 indicated so that trues right. out to about 420 at 7,000 feet, which is about the altitude or the equivalent altitude that Reno's at. Um, I mean, I don't know if it'll go that fast, but you know, yeah. that's going to be one of the intrigues for the whole uh, time we're over there is just figuring out how fast we can safely go in this aeroplane. Yeah, exactly. The, the aircraft is on the water at the moment, isn't it? It's on, on its way there. No, no, it is sitting on Long Beach. Uh, it oh, arrived, right, it's right. arrived on uh, Sunday and got offloaded. So um, I'm sending Jay McIntyre, uh, my nephew Daniel, through up um, on next Sunday. I'll go up Monday. Yep. And uh, we're going to start turning spanners on it as soon as we can. So I've given it a week to get the container from Long Beach to Chino Airport, um, yep, yep. which is still in Los Angeles. And... Uh, um, hopefully it'll you know clear customs and um, ag and and get shipped or trucked to Chino without any hassles and and um, we'll start getting it reassembled and put the uh, sponsored motor in it and um, and you know then we can start getting serious about the whole deal of of uh, test or well, not test flying but flying the airplane to see how um, how fast we can get it going yeah be pretty cool oh definitely definitely and you're um for for this trip, it's uh, it's assumed a new name, hasn't it? The aircraft. Yes, yeah, yeah. A friend of mine suggested it, Full Noise, actually, and um, it just sort of resonated with me. And I thought, you know, that's what um, Kiwis are about, <laughs> so, and that's how we intend racing. So Full Noise, it is. Awesome, awesome. So um, you mentioned uh, Jay's going up and Dan's going up and you're going up. Is that the full team, or is there more support coming? No, I'm. I'm, I'm feeling quite humble about the the um, amount of interest there has been from uh, Warbird people and uh, within the Marlborough fraternity as well. Um, Frank and Liz, uh, Frank Parker, Liz Needham from New Zealand Warbirds are coming up and they've right. been instrumental in helping me out with uh, some Harvard formation flying. Um, and um, uh, there's a bunch of people from Marlborough uh, going up as well and, and a few of them were going to go anyway, but um, a number of them have said, you know, if you're going up there to fly, we're going to come up and, and support you. So um, also got some American friends um, uh, coming along, and uh, we, we're going to have a great team. I keep saying we, we not probably won't be the fastest, but we'll have the most fun, Dave. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. No, I, I think that's fantastic that so many people are getting behind you and... and uh going to be there to support you that's that's brilliant um who are the sponsors that are helping you out 
So the the two, well, I guess three major sponsors are um, GM Aviation, uh, Jay McIntyre's kindly sponsoring all his labour. Um, uh, right. And um, the 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 other it was it was Jay and um, Joe Yancey who built my engine. Um, and Joe, who, um, and I'll tell you the story actually because I, I was baiting him a little bit because I've known he's um, he's always wanted to have his, one of his Allisons race at, at Reno. Yeah. And um, I rang him about how much power I could use on my engine, and he, he reckons um, I could put 60 inches on it without risking blowing it up. And, and, I, and I said to him, 50? I thought I'd misheard him, because takeoff yeah. manifold pressure is you know 50 inches. And he said, no, no, Graham, it'll take 60. And then he paused and he said, why would you risk your own motor when I'll sponsor you a race motor? And I thought, yes, I've got them hooked. <laughs> and, um, and that's kind of what tipped me over the edge into getting it a bit more serious about going. And that was back in 2015 when it seemed a long way away. But wow. he, uh, he and his lovely wife, Pat, are busy um, building this beautiful engine right now. And um, they're just optimizing it to run at sort of 7,000 feet and produce takeoff power, maybe spin it a little bit faster. But um, they're also tricking it up, um, so it's you know all the uh, accessories are being anodized and plated, and it's going to look um, it's going to look like a race motor. So I'm, I'm really intrigued to see what it's going to look like in the airframe, and, and of course how it's going to go. And knowing Joe's engines, I know it's going to go pretty damn well. Excellent, excellent. So uh, tell me about the preparation that you've done so far with the the training course that you've done. Yeah, interesting. They they came up with this pylon race seminar, which is called Rookie School, um, colloquially, um, about ten years ago. And, and basically, with a view to you don't want all these guys flying around um, the course in close proximity to other aeroplanes without knowing what they're doing. So, so they run this school in June every year at Reno Stead um, around the pylons. Um, and you do a bunch of um, ground training, and, and half the lectures seem designed to pretty much dissuade you from the mad idea of flying around pylons at 100 feet and 400 mile an hour plus, yeah. um, just to see, I think, whether you're serious about it. And then um, you split into race classes, and the six different classes, the Unlimiteds being the, you know, the World War II stuff. And... Um, they talk to you then about the specifics of racing in your own class because, you know, the Formula One guys start differently to us. Um, um, the courses are all different um, and the speeds are a lot different. So it's tailored, the second part of the ground course is tailored to your specific race class. The theory after that is then you get into a unlimited aeroplane and qualify or practice and qualify. Unfortunately, this year, um, there were no instructors there with an unlimited aeroplane, so they've undertaken to um, qualify the six or seven guys um, in the week leading up to Reno. Um, okay. The downside of that for us is that normally we get three or four hops and they'd uh, put us up for a check ride, which is a pass-fail. Yep. And this year they're going to have, basically they said to us, we're going to do one ride with you see what the cut of your jib looks like and um, put you up for a check ride and if you don't pass, bad luck. And, um, wow. Yeah, that's quite a um, responsibility considering we've you know got the aeroplane over there right now. <laughs> so, yeah. 
<laughs> that really is. That's that's a little bit of a worry. <laughs> a little bit of a pressure, but um, you know, the way I look at it is, is nothing I didn't do at Omarka this year with the Corsair and, and the um, Steadfast that I won't have to do for this check ride, so I'm pretty sure we can uh, represent pretty well. Right, yeah, well that makes sense. So you, you're you in the World War II class, so you're going to be in the same sort of races with the big boys that have done it uh, you know for years you Steve Hinton and that oh wow <laughs> that's that's pretty that's going to be pretty exciting well the, the neat thing is on um on the Reno Air Race Association Facebook page they put all the uh, um names of uh pilots and, and airplanes out about two three days ago and oh, yep. I'm sandwiched between Strager and Voodoo just because it's the alphabet. <laughs> well, that's How good cool. is that? So it makes <laughs> yeah. it it makes it pretty real, Dave, when uh, when you see your name there. Um, but yeah, it's um it's going to be an interesting class this year because there's a number of very high end aeroplanes that reputedly aren't going to be there. So you know that bumps all the minions like myself further up um, the food chain, and. Oh, yeah. We'll just we'll just see, you know. I mean, I I originally started with the intent of just going around the course and ticking off a bucket list item, but uh, if we can get this aeroplane reliable, um, who knows where we'll end up. Well, that's right, and I mean, if anyone can do it, a New Zealand team can do it. Look at the likes of Bert Munro and McLaren, and and the you know the the guys from New Zealand who have taken on the world and done really well. Oh, exactly, and you know, um, as you're well aware, we've we've um, used Bert Munro as an inspiration. Really, I love that story uh, how he just yeah. rocked up to Bonneville un- unannounced and unheralded and took on the world and posted record times that still stand and will never be beaten because they've changed the race classes for him. But we've got um, his race number. Um, each each aircraft have to has has to have a. Um, a specific race number and I've got 35 which was on Bert Munro's motorcycle and uh, and as a tilt to Bert we've we've put it on the airplane in the same font and with the same color background so um Kiwi oh, will hopefully realize what we're doing <laughs> that's awesome that's really cool it is cool yeah and and as I say I love his story and and if we can if we can achieve a little bit of what Bert did um it's going to be pretty damn neat yeah, so once the racing actually starts, because I'm not particularly uh, familiar with how Reno works. I've I've not been there. Uh, so, do you have heats and then you go through to a final? And and so there's several races that you may be in. Yes. Um, so they have uh, within within the classes. Uh, the six different classes from um, 120 horsepower Formula One aeroplanes right up to the um, unlimiteds and jets. Um, they have gold, silver, bronze, and it all depends how fast you are. You know, the gold unlimiteds are 500 mile an hour Mustangs, and the bronze guys are uh, Mustangs traveling around at cruise power. Um, and what happens is you have the first initial part of the week is all about practice on the course, and yep. then um, by Wednesday you've got to post a qualifying time, and the qualifying time, you know, puts you in gold, silver, or bronze. And then you start working through heats for the rest of the week from uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, and you can improve in the heats and, you know, bump up a class. Um, and then Saturday, Sunday is the business end of it where you're basically in semifinals and finals. The, the 
um, the big final event uh, on the Sunday is the Unlimited Golds at uh, 4 o'clock and they wheel all the aeroplanes out in that race and they announce the crews and the pilots and the aeroplanes and everyone starts their engines on, on you know, gentlemen start your engines and it's a big deal, everyone's there for that and, yeah, okay. um, and you know, who knows I'm hoping they're going to wheel full noise out in front of everybody and announce us and we'll give it a crack Oh, that'd be pretty neat. Well, I mean, all I can say is best of luck and and you know go get them. <laughs> it's going to no, be fantastic. It's, yeah. it's it's been very humbling that just the support from everybody, um, uh, not even just aviation um, circles within New Zealand uh, around this story of you know of going over um, halfway around the world um, to to give this a go, and that's what we're about. We're just going to give it a go and. The, the interesting thing about the sprint race is it's actually a marathon because you need to get to the Sunday with a serviceable aeroplane before you know before you really have achieved anything and I'm very right. mindful of that um, yep. we're going to you know, try and go easy on the gear and, and keep it flying safe and uh, until Sunday and then she'll be all on <laughs> right right yeah that makes sense <laughs> oh that'd be brilliant now um, how can people f uh, follow what you're up to um, obviously you've got your Facebook page that you mentioned yeah we do um, uh, I've also got a, a Instagram um, page at my media relations experts um, insistence and so if you look at uh, full noise 35 on Instagram that'll probably be the more immediate updates um, okay. and and obviously yeah, the fight or flights um, Facebook page are the the two main mechanisms mechanisms that will be updating people back in New Zealand um, we've had it's very interesting we've had quite a bit of interest from the print media um, a little bit from radio but absolutely zero uptake from from TV media at the moment so we'll see how that goes I guess we're just gonna have to prove ourselves before they get interested um, but if people look at those two avenues first and foremost that'll give them pretty immediate updates on how we're going um, and uh, yeah, any messages of support we'll uh, acknowledge and we certainly appreciate. And uh, you know, we're going there to represent um, not just full noise and fighter flights, but but uh, all the New Zealand aviation fraternity. Show them how Kiwis can fly. Fantastic, fantastic. And uh, I think um, after the race, I think we probably have to get you back on the show and, uh, and get the uh, debrief. That'd be great. Yes, yeah, totally, Dave. Um, look forward to being able to brag about how well we've done in a, in a month or so's time. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, thank you very much, Graham. It's been really, really good to uh, talk to you about this. And, and uh, all I can say again is best of luck. Yeah, thank you, Dave. And uh, thanks to all your listeners. We'll, um, we'll do our best to make everybody proud. Brilliant, brilliant. Cheers. Okay, Dave. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.